Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning, everyone. I'm delighted to have with us Sid Mukherjee and Tom Delbrook from SPI, an IT company that specializes in the retail industry. And I would love it if you guys would start us off by telling us a little bit about what SPI does and the trends that you think are really relevant for people in the market to know about um, both IT and retail from your, your expertise and perspective. All right. Good morning to you and good morning to all your viewers. And um, thank you for the opportunity to be on the show. Uh, yeah, SPI is, like you said, a company that does technology solutions for retailers worldwide. And um, it's an exciting time to be in this business. And uh, it's because of what we carry in our pockets and in our hands, uh, namely our cell phones and the internet, they have really changed the complete um, horizon for retailers everywhere. So um, we have lots of opportunity to help them out to t take advantage of uh, technology uh, to the best possible way. Now, tell us a little bit about how the advent of the internet um, is changing both, you know, IT and retail and how people interact with, with retailers and the purchases that they're making. Mm -hmm. no, I, I think that's a, that's a really interesting point. And, um, you know, retailers have traditionally been, um, not been the leaders, uh, so to say, in technology. They have always trailed in adopting the latest and greatest techniques, uh, uh, you know, uh, technology-wise. But um, because of the cell phone and because of the internet, uh, they are forced to take notice because you and I, we all go and do research on the internet or maybe buy things on the internet. And um, you know that has really forced retailers to make sure that they have sufficient presence online or on mobile phones uh, to actually be a candidate to be uh, one of the people that you might buy things from. Now, what percentage, to your knowledge, of, of uh, purchases are happening on the internet versus in, in a physical location? Uh, you know, you think that the percentage online is really going high, but uh, the percentage of sales that were done in physical stores in 2014 was 93%. And most analysts don't think that that number is going to go up. Um, it's not going to go down either. It's going to stay in the 90 plus percent range. And that is because most people actually prefer to go and have that personal experience with the merchandise before they actually make the purchase. And so tell us, why, why is there all this buzz about Amazon kind of taking over the world if 93% if, if of sales are still happening in a physical location? Um, numbers speak better than words. Uh, and so between 2010 and 2014, uh, the number of footsteps in malls between October and December, which is the peak shopping season, mm -hmm. fell. They fell from about $39 billion, uh, 39 billion footsteps, I beg your pardon, to 21 billion footsteps. So they fell by about half. Wow. Okay. But in the same period, the sales in those same stores and malls went up from $641 billion to $739 billion. So in an increase of about 15%. So, well, the difference is explained by the fact that according to Google, a full 72% of purchases that have been made in that period of time were influenced by what we read, either online or on our mobile phones, meaning using some research. Mm -hmm. So like me, I, I despise shopping. What I do is I go online, I pretty much narrow down what I'm going to purchase down to 
either one item or the one or two items I'm going to get. Then I get in my car, I go, I go directly to the store, I pick it up and I leave. That's right. But and you also don't need to uh, look at other items because you're doing that comparison shopping online, right? So you're looking at uh, other merchandise which are comparable, if you will, to what uh, you are looking for. And then you make that decision based on reviews made by your peers, which is a very common technique that everyone uses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so as you think about the growth of your company, because one of the things that I think is really exciting about having you on the show is you've won numerous awards, um, including, you know, I found you through the Atlanta Business, Business Chronicle. You were listed as one of the fastest growing um, companies, small companies in Atlanta. What do you think, uh, you know, that growth is coming from? Yeah. So if you now look at this from the retailer's perspective, what they have to do is, like I said, first they have to have that presence online and on mobile devices, but also they have to provide you, the customer, a seamless experience, so to say, right? So you should be able to start your research on your mobile device, continue the research online, and then actually be able to go and complete that transaction in a store. So which means that as you go through the various channels, right, you should be allowed to make, allowed to make that um, transition seamlessly. Okay, and uh, so there are these new initiatives. For example, some of our um, customers, our clients, such as Macy's and Saks, have implemented things like buy online, pick up in stores. Right, so giving you the opportunity to actually do your shopping online, but actually not pay for it till you walk into a store, touch and feel the merchandise, and then pick it up. Mm-hmm. Right, so that requires tremendous changes in technology. And that's exactly where we come in and help retailers uh, execute on that. Mm-hmm. And from your, from your perspective, Tom, what are the trends that you think are really important um, in the industry to, for, for listeners to be aware of? Yeah, no, it's, it's the same theme. So you have to have the technology. You have to have what they call omni-channel. So you have to be able to identify where all the products are. And historically, um, stores would basically stock the store, they'd plan the store from their distribution centers. And, and I spent a long, long time in the transportation industry, but the supply chain for retailers is changing dramatically. So the store of the future looks a little smaller. Um, as Sid said, they're not walking around as much. They're basically going informed, so they basically know kind of what they're looking for. Doesn't mean some people don't just, you know, like to spend time in malls, but, you know, so identifying where all those items are so you can make changes more frequently. So, if you recall 20 years ago, you know, just in time, you know, inventory management, you know, not having excess management and in, or excess inventory, inventory comes with high costs and basically the, the, the risk of obsolescence and, and high value goods historically would never be stored and people would push just in time. You know, retail for years basically would buy twice a year, you know, follow fashion week in New York City or Paris or wherever and basically stock their stores and then hope they got it right. They would just wish and cross their fingers with technology. Now, what they're able to do is, you know, what I call, you know, halftime adjustments. They can basically look at how an item's doing on the store or, you know, whether it's through the Internet or in a storeroom or, you know, and basically adjust and basically order, reduce the size of orders maybe order a third of the inventory of what they're looking for for the store. And through technology, you're able to basically link all that together. So if you buy something from a retailer today, it historically would come from a distribution center. Now they'll pull it, depending on the value of the merchandise, they'll pull it right out of the store. So you may order something you know, through a retailer and get the item from three different stores. They'll basically go in and actually cost a little bit more, but the margins in retail historically are pretty high, so they're able to basically pay that extra cost to make sure that they get that sale. So it's it's just identifying all the merchandise, being able to find where that merchandise is, 
whether it's in the distribution center, whether it's in a, on a rack, or whether it's in the back of the store. Hmm. Now, you mentioned the phrase omni-channel. Um, for those who may not be familiar with what that means, what, do, what exactly does that mean? All right. So um, omni-channel is that seamless experience across channels, right? So it is the capability of um, a retailer such that a customer like you and me is able to have that same experience, whether we are shopping on our mobile phones, online, or in a store. Okay, so what that means, uh, again, in terms of technology is, like Tom was saying, the retailer needs to know now where the merchandise is across all his or her channels, not just in a store. So in the past, you probably went to a store and uh, asked for merchandise, and they said, ah, you know what, I don't have it in the store. And if you want, I can look it up, but that's totally out of fashion right now, okay? And Omnichannel helps them in determining where that merchandise might be within a 50-mile radius. And in fact, most good, sophisticated retailers will now offer a free ship to home because they did not find that exact size or color that you were looking for of that dress, okay? So, and that is Omnichannel, and it's not definitely not trivial. Mm. Now, you mentioned shipping, um, and as we talk about online and omni-channel, um, obviously shipping becomes really important. Um, although one question that I have is how important is shipping if only 7% of purchases are happening outside of stores? Well, I mean, it's 7% of a really large number, okay? And um, obviously the big gorilla in that uh, room is Amazon, as you know. And Amazon has set the trend with free shipping for many of their items. Um, but it's really uh, something which is, um, which is going to be, have to be evaluated by the likes of Amazon because in 2014, um, according to their public statements, they lost about $3 billion in shipping uh, alone. right? And that, even for a $100 billion company, is not really sustainable over a long period of time. So which is why... Um, the likes of Macy's, and there was a professor at Dartmouth, I think, that said that stores are the new black, and the uh, new poster child in retail is not necessarily Amazon, it is Macy's. And he said that because uh, Macy's is able to actually do the shipping for their online purchases, not from fulfillment centers that are 500 miles away, but from the store, which is next to your home. So therefore, their shipping costs are much lower, and they are able to therefore fulfill the uh, needs of a customer uh, a lot more quickly at the same time with lower cost. Mm. And so what do you think the solution is for online retailers like Amazon? Well, I mean, they will have to find places where they will have to store their merchandise closer to the customer, to the ultimate customer. And it might be through setting up new fulfillment centers. It might be through acquisitions of, um, you know, some organization that has multiple locations all over the United States. Mm. Mm -hmm. And um, one question that I had for you, which might be a little bit blue sky, but in terms of big tre technology trends, you hear a lot about like, you know, artificial intelligence and network and sensors and all these really kind of big cutting edge technologies. I mean, do you think that, um, you know, what are the big kind of blue sky technology trends that you think we ought to be paying attention to? Some of them sound almost a little bit like science fiction, but mm -hmm. yeah, which ones do you think are the ones we, we should pay attention to? Well, I mean, the really sexy ones mm -hmm. are things like, well, I mean, on your mobile device, very soon you might be able to get 3D images of yourself uh, and see yourself um, you know, wearing the uh, dresses that you'd like to buy, okay? Uh, that's not very far away, 
In really? fact, the technology is already here, but it, um, it it's very prohibitive in terms of its footprint. It'll take a long time to download it to your cell phones. So that is coming. Uh, already there are things called digital mirrors, which have that technology within stores. Digital emitters? Mirrors. No. Mirrors, mm -hmm. right? So it's like a mirror, like a regular mirror, except that it's touchscreen, takes your picture, and then it lets you pick dresses to try on with your size, et cetera. So it's, it's, uh, it's already here. Uh, so there is that, but uh, <clears throat> from a uh, non-sexy perspective, there is also other parts of technology that are equally important, which is, for example, uh, you ha need to have the capability of knowing exactly where your merchandise is at all times, very key, especially when you're, for example, buying online, pick up in, uh, picking up it in stores, and so on and so forth. This so, is me as the consumer or the retailer? For the retailer. Okay. The retailer needs to know where the merchandise is going to be. So when you order online, they should be able to predict what's the best way to get that merchandise to you, right? So if you choose to actually go to a store, they should be able to tell you which store is most likely to have the merchandise when you actually go out there because, you know, the easiest way to upset a customer is to have them go to a store and then tell them they really don't have the merchandise, right? So uh, so there are things called uh, technologies like RFID, uh, which uh, essentially identify using radio frequency where every single piece of merchandise is. Uh, and so uh, there are technologies like that which will become prevalent. You'll also have what is called the Internet of Things. So in other words, uh, technologies which will uh, make all the different pieces of in the re retail life cycle uh, be connected to the internet so you'd know exactly where things are at all times. Mm -hmm. And I, I wonder about, you know, for example, if you order on Amazon and the package doesn't show up, uh, which actually happened to me this week, mm -hmm. how does that happen? Or is that the kind of thing that you're saying that they need to prevent? Uh, well, I mean, if the package doesn't show up, then probably somebody <laughs> missed out on delivery, I guess. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I mean, companies like Amazon, you know, they have lots of uh, efficiencies because they don't have to actually manage large stores, right? So they are able to absorb some of the cost associated with this. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think in general, um, the the transporters, the logistics companies have gotten really, really good. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, uh, Tom can talk. To yeah, that. I spent many years in transportation. I mean, the UPSs, Federal Expresses. I mean, the big trend in for Amazon is working with the regional carriers, so they can go basically get cheaper if they work with these regional carriers that don't cover like all forty-eight states, like UPS or FedEx would, but they cover Georgia or they cover Texas, and basically, and Amazon is moving in and doing their own delivery as well in some parts of the world. So. You know, and one of the things not lost in this, we talk about, you know, a lot of sales through the brick and mortar channel, but, you know, the, by far the fastest growing is the internet purchasing and ship to home. So, I mean, if you look at the, the, the Christmas seasons for UPS or FedEx or the post office, uh, the U.S. Postal Service, I mean, those numbers just continue to go up multiple double digits, you know, up 15, 20 percent year over year. So, as Sid mentioned, I mean, people are still going into the store, but plenty of people are taking advantage of ordering things, especially, you know, the Christmas season. Um, and those are being delivered, whether through Amazon or other brick and mortar retailers that have, inter you know, Internet, you know, um, presence as well. Mm -hmm. And so what do you what exactly do you guys do in this whole, you know, mix of working with uh, retailers on their on their their technology? Yeah, we do. Uh, we, we, you know, our, our core business historically has been IT servicing. So the company's 20 years old. 
started by Sid and his wife, you know, in 1994, but um, just recently celebrated 20 years of success and, you know, for a long time, basically focused on IT servicing. So, you know, happened to have, you know, really good relationships with some large, you know, uh, big fashion retailers who basically needed IT work done. Uh, we do work here. We do work offshore as well. Uh, so we have facilities in India. We have facilities in Nepal. Uh, we have offices in Canada, the United States, clearly. Uh, Brazil. We're in Singapore. We're in Australia. Uh, we're looking at entering, re-entering Western Europe. It's very expensive to do business there. We were there once, but we're basically now back. Um, but we do IT servicing, so custom application maintenance development work for a lot of brick-and-mortar retailers have their own legacy software systems. They, they're so unique, and they're so large, and they're so cumbersome, and they just have their, their own way of doing things that isn't, you know, a, you know, isn't you know, something that you could buy off a shelf. So they've decided to customize that. Um, so we maintain those systems for them. But many of them are adopting you know, kind of best-in-breed software technologies that are out, that are emerging. And basically, we do a lot to implement those things, whether it's in... Uh, supply chain management, you know, warehouse management systems. There's several new software packages out that retailers are using as they kind of work through this whole omni-channel world. So we have specialists that basically can help implement and integrate that software into their core systems. Uh, we also have invested heavily through acquisition and through our own R&D and products that basically help retailers. Uh, we do basically merchandise assortment planning, where basically one of the most important things retailers do is determine what items are going to put in one of their stores. So what sizes, what colors, what items. And basically, we actually have business as a service where we actually help retailers. We sell the software that basically takes historical data and through the use of algorithms and other predictive measures, basically tries to guess what's going to happen in the future or you know get a best estimate of basically the needs or the demand of, of that store. And as you can imagine, if you can get that right and you can use the science you know, a lot of it's art. A lot of buyers get influenced by designers and by, you know, by people selling, you know, this is going to be the, the, the color this year. Or this is the strapless. This is that. But, you know, there is math behind some of this. There is historical data that doesn't lie. And you couple that with the art of it and basically use that, you know, what if scenario to basically make informed decisions. If you would have done this last year, you would have made more money. You would have lost. And if you don't have to mark things down and somebody walks in a store and you don't miss it, it's, it's, it, it really helps the bottom line. I mean, just small movements in retail, because retail, as most of us know, is not a wildly profitable business. It's, you know, low margins in the business, very capital intensive to ba basically maintain a store presence, especially the brick and mortar retailers. So uh, products like that are, are basically what we're, where we're going. Great. Yeah. And, and then connecting it back to what we were talking about earlier. So SPI's strategy is to try and try to help retailers that are adopting the omni-channel way, okay? And so what Tom just described uh, is essentially the planning process. So it's very important because now you no longer have to just plan for um, merchandise that will be sold to people that are walking into a store. You also have to plan for things that might be shipped from the store, right? For people from in that zip code, if you will, right? So there is that. Uh, also, you need really advanced analytics. Because of the complexity of what's going on now, some of the new new thinking is do the analytics on the POS, which is point of sale data, on the inventory data, and push it back to the suppliers. Okay, so this is a new field, emerging field called demand signal repository, and uh, we are one of the top five companies in the world that are doing it right now, and um, it's also the way of the future. 
you know, because there are lots of things that are converging at the same time. So other than the fact, like I said, the omni-channel thing, also there is a lot of good high-speed internet now available. Uh, data storage is very inexpensive. And so all that enormous amounts of data, which used to be previously un unutilized from retailers, is now being uh, mined into to determine what's the best way to kind of plan for next year or for next season. Wonderful. And as you look at, you you know, just mentioned that you're in the, the top five companies in that kind of sub subsegment of your market. I would love to, to shift the conversation a little bit towards what would you guys say are the, the top three to five contributors to the fast growth that you've been able to achieve? Well, I'll start off. And so uh, one is, I think it's very important to have uh, a clear strategy as to what you're going to do, right? And uh, it's very important uh, as part of the strategy to say what you won't do, uh, not just what you will do. So, you know, we started off as an IT services company, and there are many, many IT services companies. And um, it's very easy to say that we will do everything for everybody. And to be able to differentiate and say, well, we are going to do only work for retailers, it takes a lot of guts for an entrepreneur, right? Because I'm beginning to turn down business now. But guess what? I mean, in the long term, that really, really helps to uh, be focused both externally as well as internally. So there is, that's one thing. The second big thing, I, th uh, I mean, in my opinion, is building a great team. I mean, you know, uh, the guy sitting next to me here, Tom, is, I mean, I can't, it's a world-class exec. And I have uh, a couple more like that, which really have helped us and kind of propel the company forward uh, much faster than I could have done on my own. Right, and then the third is sticking to it. I mean, one of the big things that entrepreneurs probably miss out on is um, is the fact that you know nothing comes easy. Right, you have to work really hard. I know you're probably working really hard on your radio show. Yeah, and um, there are no shortcuts to success. Right, uh, who was it that said that? Um, they said that you know you have an elevator to the top, but then when I went there, they said the elevator is not working. You have to take the steps. <laughs> Great, 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 great. No, I just add the, the other thing there is right place at the right time. So if you think of retail, um, you know, what was, you know, the internet has really changed. So technology. So retailers half are forced to change. If they don't want to recognize that the research that needs to be done on a computer, I mean, they're going to be irrelevant. So, you know, the IT budgets for retailers has been dramatically increased over the last three to four years. And obviously we cover IT for retail. So right place at the right time is part of the reason why we've had tremendous success recently as well. Mm -hmm. And did, you know, I, I, I'm a strategist as, as you guys know. So when you were in the right place or how, how did you get to the right place at the, the right time? Was it calculated, Sid, when you were looking at narrowing from just being an IT services company to focusing on retail? Did you really look and position yourself? No, absolutely. I think right place at the right time is absolutely very important. Uh, but here's the thing, right? I mean, and I'm sure you have seen this too. The harder you work, the luckier you get. So uh, we had been doing work for retailers for 20 years. And uh, this phenomenon that we're talking about is probably five to 10 years old. Well, I mean, the iPhone was when? 2010, 2000, 2000, I think, 10-ish. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So, I mean, it's not been that long at all, right? But when that happened, I mean, we were just prepared. We were right there. And we were able to take advantage of uh, this new revolution, if you will, in the retail IT industry. Mm -hmm. um, so you mentioned building a great team. Uh, as well. And I always have folks on the show who know each other and, you know, in particular have supported each other in business because, 
you know, Sid, I think you, you guys would both agree that, you know, it's the people in our businesses, you know, b- businesses founded or built one relationship at a time. Mm-hmm. And so, Tom, you'd be, uh, I think, gratified to know. And I asked Sid, you know, what was there a key event, you know, or what was some of the, the turning point in in actually helping to achieve the growth? He mentioned hiring you as being one of the key turning points that helped the company grow. And so I would love for you to speak a little bit about the change that you've seen in the business, kind of, you know, that era w- before the, the the exponential growth started to happen. Okay. Yeah, so I joined um, SPI and, and got to know Sid probably about a year or so before I joined. And, you know, we courted each other a little bit and I was delighted to hear about his business and coming from transportation and banking um, you know, both industries that were, you know, left for dead back in the late 2000, you know, eight, nine, ten. He was describing this company that was growing at 60 percent a year. And I'm like, you know, and he couldn't find enough employees or he could even do better. And, you know, I'm like, what industry are you in? So it kind of forced me to kind of sit back and say, I want to, re, you know, reinvent myself as a technology person. You know, I'm a finance person, been a finance person my whole life. But, you know, I got to know Sid and got to know his business. And, you know, one of the things he, you know, he was just, you know, ruthless, you know, as far as the, the service levels to his customers, as far as, you know, what, you know, the expectations of the business. And, you know, I mean, like any other successful entrepreneur, you know, the customer is always right. You know, organic growth was phenomenal. Just doing what, you know, the best customer service is delivering best quality services through the delivery mechanism. But as you look back, it's like we really needed intellectual property. We needed something that, you know, when you leave is still running the business because, you know, Sid was, the, you know, is the business with a lot of his people. But, you know, intellectual property was something we, we set out to basically either build or buy that basically, you know, let something that continues to work. Because when we're basically in IT servicing, I describe it as running on a treadmill. We, we have to prove ourselves every day. We have to get rehired, rehired. We have to keep our people employed, working on products and services that are basically being used. When you get into product revenue, it's more recurring. It's basically a licensed revenue. You find you're solving business needs, and, and that recurs. So the biggest transformation I've seen is basically the movement from kind of a 95 to 100% servicing model to, you know, what aspirationally we, we would like to get at some point, 50 to 50, 50% of our revenue coming from servicing, which we think is still our bread and butter core business, but basically having products in the industry that basically are relevant, that basically solve problems for retailers that are recurring revenue. And, and that's kind of where I've taken a lead as far as in the M&A looking at, you know, hundreds, literally hundreds of companies that are out there and, and trying to determine which ones are real, and which ones are pretenders and basically to bring in. So that's kind of where I basically added more of the value as far as is on the acquisition side. And so in terms of the acquisitions, um, one of the things that a lot of companies struggle with in acquisitions is integrating, you know, integrating after the acquisition has happened. So I think you've done a number of acquisitions. So clearly that's something that you've d- built a track record of success in doing. So would you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. And, and Sid will add on to that. I mean, obviously one of the, you know, our first, you know, we had built a couple products, you know, they weren't large. They were probably less than several million dollars of revenue. So when we first bought our first large product company, you know, um, Shiloh Technologies, we bought and we bought ITR software. So those were two we did in 2013. And, you know, for the most part, they were platforms, meaning you know, we didn't have a existing product division. We didn't have an existing product, you know, portfolio. We had a couple products, you know, with teams of people that would, you know, work on the products as their part-time job. And, you know, when you do a platform acquisition, you kind of use that as the platform. 
What we've been able to do is, you know, our integration strength is we have a thousand people in Indy. We have an offshore development team that's been working, you know, for other customers of ours or for our customers. And when you're a product company, you're basically, it's a different skill set. But a lot of product development, it was done onshore historically. So we're able to basically reduce development costs substantially. So that's a cost synergy when we can basically do the same thing but utilize and, and not not completely the replace, but uh, you know reduce the amount of expense and, and product development by doing it offshore at lower costs, um, that basically is a way to make acquisitions look really good. The other thing that we really, and, and I didn't assume this because doing acquisitions my whole life, but revenue synergies are when you buy a product, you basically look at the existing customer base and say, you know, how can we grow there? We, what we've been able to do is through our servicing arm, our delivery capability and our relationships with these large, well-established retailers, when we have a product that basically can solve their needs, we can get it right into the right decision makers. So we can take small product companies that would have no access to a large retailer and through our service partnership and our client relationships, we're able to introduce those products and services to those IT or to those retailers, and about half of them have basically at least looked at the product, and basically many are in in in, in making decisions to actually adopt and, and choose those products. So that's a great revenue synergy as well. Um, I don't know if you want to add to that, Sid, but those are the two things that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, at the end of the day, the success of a business is to create greater capabilities, right, that you can take to your customers. And, uh, you know, perception is very important. And so the fact that we are investing in intellectual property, right, we are able to take solutions, real-life solutions to our clients makes us a lot more viable, not just for the product itself, but also for other our traditional IT services kind of engagements, okay? Mm-hmm. So the very, very largest retailers in the world who have probably have thousands of uh, IT services companies knocking on their doors, they pick us every day because they see us as a company that is investing in their business alone, not diverting it into other businesses or other uh, industries also. And um, I think having that along with the actual expertise that is being built uh, within the company itself, I think both of those things have contributed tremendously also to the growth. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of, of the, the team, one of the things that I, and I'll ask if Sid, there was a point where you had to make a... Um, a decision to start investing, you know, ahead of the results in the team, right? Where you had to maybe look at um, in- increasing the level of executive that you were going to have in the business and making the investment in that. Was th- was there a period where you were going through and looking at and increasing the amount that you were investing in your team? Well, I mean, actually, when I started the business, uh, you know, and there is a person that has helped me since then, that's my wife. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and she's been always been a part of, behind me and making sure that SPI is successful and she has contributed tremendously. And my dad in India, actually, to start off. But throughout the history of SPI, I have probably over-invested in execs, in great execs. And um, the thing is that you need different kinds of skills, different kinds of executives when you are a $5 million company versus when you are a $75 million company, clearly. And uh, it's the challenge has been to scale up and very often I've had to go outside and bring great people like Tom on to kind of accelerate that and also create this perception and create the capability to grow more and do more. Mm-hmm. And um, how do you how do you go about creating a resonant team? Um, because it's not a foregone conclusion. And Tom, you may want to weigh in on this, like a team that you know really 
works together well, has good chemistry, you know, has the synergy, you know, of, of being able to think together as, well, a, as a group. I, yeah, I think the most important thing is to have everybody adopt the vision, right? Everybody needs to understand and agree that the direction that the company is going in is the right direction. Beyond that, it is caring about them, right? I mean, um, it's like family. If you if your family members feel that you care about them and care for their success and their growth, then they are probably going to be much closer to you than not, right? So in this case, uh, I try to make sure that my my key team and the organization overall, right, all the people in there, we try to help them grow their careers so that their personal objectives are also met along with the growth of the company. And that contributes to there being a much greater sense of camaraderie and teamwork. And and that seems so simple, but why do you, even though it's simple, it seems like it's not easy for a lot of companies to do well. Why do you think that that's the case? Because it requires sacrifices, right? I mean, um, I can choose to take out more money in a particular year and not pay my people as much. And it's very easy to do, uh, and it's very tempting to do. But uh, that's not long-term strategy, you know? And, uh, you know, I mean, you've got to kind of get into a business with more than just wanting to make money, right? And it's the uh, the objective of getting and building a company that we are all proud of is more important than what happens in a particular year. And uh, many people are not that, you know, you've got to be more farsighted than that. That's all it is. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, you know, you make investments. We make investments in our kids' education all the time, right? And we could choose not to do it. Say, you know what, no, I don't want to spend it. $20,000 this year. <laughs> but it's the same concept, I think. And and Tom, from your perspective? Yeah, no, I mean, and, and you know, we're still... As as somebody who's working yeah. <laughs> working for it, for said. Yeah, no, so, I mean, it's, you know, and, and we've had turnover and, you know, trying to get the right mix of people, and it's not for everyone, um, you know, and it, it takes time uh, to get the team together. We, we've been, the, the current team has molded very well. Um, I, I think for people like... Sid to attract people like like me and others uh, that have joined. You know, the, the, when you get to know Sid, one of the things you, you you quickly realize is he's all in the business, right? So he is all the money goes back in the business. As he said, he it is tempting, and you know, a lot of people would have taken more money out of the business. It's been a very profitable business for a long time, and he's not been one to basically put himself ahead of the business. The business is ahead of him. Um, you know, obviously his wife and his kids are ahead of the business, but, you know, as far as his perspective, he's all in. And and ultimately the money the business makes is reinvested in the business to help customers basically and to, to, to stay relevant, right? And, you know, so if, if I wouldn't have come to work for the guy if he basically just, hey, I'm here to basically get myself rich and I really don't care about anyone else, that's not what he's here about. He's basically here... To, to solve the customer's problems um, and, and to build a team. And, and basically, um, that's why I'm here, and that's why a lot of us are here, I think. So he's done a nice job of basically building a team that, that and, and setting a, a strategic vision. He almost sets too far of a vision. <laughs> you know, he's got us planned out through 2020 or something like that. I'm like, I do one year at a time kind of thing. <laughs> so uh, we have our own issues with that. but. <laughs> Well, let's go back to number one, the strategy, um, which is, you know, my my love. Um, so tell us about how you go about putting together a, stra- together a strategy that everybody can get behind and that's really exciting to people. Um, and that's all. But that's also realistic and executable. Mm-hmm. Guys, I'd love to hear you both weigh in on that one. Yeah. OK. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think there are certain components to a strategy that are very important. One is that it needs to be very simple. 
right? You cannot have an extremely complicated strategy that runs into pages, right? So uh, for us, it is to be uh, the technology provider of choice for retailers worldwide. It's very simple, but it's actually pretty broad. And uh, so within that, within that space, we have to define, well, what does that mean? Break it up into its components uh, and translate that into financial goals, um, uh, goals in terms of the growth of the company and growth of intellectual property and so on and so forth. And the most important thing to do is to make sure that everybody has bought into your simple strategy and then they are contributing in their respective areas to make that overall strategy successful, right? So the important thing is to a um, keep keep the strategy in front of everybody all the time, mm. right? And also making sure that the parts add up to something which is exactly where we want to get to. Mm -hmm. Tom, yeah, no, I, I think the you know the strategy that you know that Sid sets out, and you know I'm more tactical, you know, by nature as a CFO, and he's a CEO. I think we complement each other, but you know. He sets out kind of, you know, higher, you know, revenue, you know, he's, you know, he, he likes revenue. <laughs> so his vision is always to grow revenue. He loves these revenue awards. Profitably. growing. Profitably, uh, of course. Yeah, profitable. But, you know, sometimes, but you're willing to invest through that. Um, so what I try to do is, is bring some sanity to some of the plans um, from a, you know, a, a more of a tactical thing. Okay, how realistically is this? If... If we're going to get this kind of revenue this year, we need to have these activities starting now. Like just just how quickly can you turn a conversation with a customer into something? But I think for the most part, you know, he's right is, you know, because of the focus on retail, you know, we have that domain expertise where we can drop people in from one retailer to another. And, and most retailers, for the most part, do the same stuff. Um, you know, the same types of systems. So there's a, there's a domain expertise. So our people... You know, we're a small company, but we, we, we punch above our weight. We basically compete with the largest IT servicing companies out there at, at large retailers every day. But, you know, like many other large IT uh, uh, outsourcing firms, we don't do financial services. We don't do healthcare. We do retail. So all of them are basically, as Sid said, they're, they're kind of spread a little bit too thin. So within the retail vertical, you know, we try to be very relevant. And that is our strategy. And we're constantly evaluating new technologies. So as I said, I've literally, and, and you know, we have, I think, two today, one at 1030 and one at four, I think. We're actually talking to acquisition candidates. We Every week I talk to probably myself, five to ten different firms. We're looking at either evaluating to buy or to partner with. And these are all emerging technologies. So part of our strategy is to basically stay relevant, stay basically on top of the technology that's coming out. And, and basically provide the services we've been providing, but try to be able to show our customers kind of what else is out there and what they could be taking advantage of. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of your, your process for developing your strategy, do you guys do anything written? Do you actually write it down? Yes, we have. Um, we have, you know, it starts, it's, it, you know, strategy is a ongoing living thing, right? As you know, it's not something a lot of companies go wrong by hiring a, you know, a strat strategic person. They put a strategic plan together for the next five years, and then they, they all start marching to it. You know, it'll be out of date 30 days into it. Or before it, it's even finished, <laughs> you even finish writing it. So, you know, our strategy is kind of ongoing. I mean, Sid, myself, um, Chris, our chief operating officer, and others, we meet constantly, you know, at least quarterly to talk about our strategy. 
we have kind of every 18 months we actually get off-site and basically we're, we're coming up on one i think in august of this year we're going to go out to tennessee for you know a few days and basically take you know the top 10 or 15 people to business and really just get away from the business for a couple of days and, and really focus on where we've been what have we done what's worked what hasn't worked and kind of where do we need to do and what things do we need to do so you have to pull people out of the office to do that. Mm-hmm. And then we have people that, you know, kind of tactically kind of monitor the strategy from there. But, you know, it's kind of a, it's it's not like going to the doctor. It's like getting you know, a physical. It's like, you know, it's your strategic checkup. You know, are we on track? Does this make sense? What are the new trends coming out? How do we make sure we stay ahead of those things? So mm-hmm. it's a constant, you know, ever going thing. Well, and another question I have for you in terms of pitfalls I've seen in people's strategic planning is, um, Validating the, the assumptions. So, you know, typically in every business, you have certain things that you're basing your projections and your, you know, the anticipated growth off of. How do you how do you go about making sure that those assumptions are correct? Um, you know, it's trial and error. I mean, a lot of times we have to basically, you know, we're realists, right? We live in a real world. So, you know, our, our, our success is validated every day when we get an extension to a statement of work. I mean, we work with most of our retailers you know, they constantly have to rehire us. You know, we don't take that for granted because we can't, right? So we have to basically, um, you know, when we look at new products, we basically have an opportunity. You know, there's a lot of products out there that are great. And you say, well, where are your customers? Well, they don't have any. You know, and this is a great technology, but what is it going to do for me? And, you know, and even some of our retailers get influenced. The IT guys within a lot of the retailers are, are you know, being asked by, you know, the chief merchandise officers and the chief marketing and the business people within retail to try to, you know, get all these little gizmos that they're buying, you know, because all these technologies are out there that, you know, there's a lot of money on the sideline, a lot of venture back kind of retail IT things out there, whether, you know, there's things to track, you know, through Wi-Fi or through beacons, how many people are standing outside a door at a retailer and, you know, they try to collect that data and try to influence, you know, tell stores to stay open past, you know, seven o'clock because there's people outside your store trying to get in. There's technology when you walk by a window and, you know, a, you know, Bloomingdale's downtown New York or something where it would say if there's a red dress on display, they can track how many people based on their phone stop there and look as opposed to if it's a blue dress and, and you stop and they try to measure, you know, the red dress is the hottest color or the better dress. And, but, you know, a lot of those things are out there, but they don't really have what can you do with it, right? So we come in as what you can do with that kind of stuff. So we've been asked more and more to say we have all this data and these little touch points. Help me basically bring that together, and, and what does that do for me? So those are the things that basically, you know, we, we, we look at and say, what can we do with that? So we validate with our own, you know, questioning of, you know, saying that looks really neat, but we walk away from things like that because they're just too, you know, they're not relevant. I mean, you know, it's, it's hard for us to be able to passionately go to a customer and say, this is technology that you can actually reduce your operating costs or increase your sales. If it doesn't do one of those things, it doesn't matter. So we're not basically going to be focused on it. Right. Every business activity needs to be tied to money. Yeah. And I'll add to that, though, what Tom said. And, you know, strategy is... Um not necessarily driven by us as much as yeah. it is driven by our customers, mm. right? So it's our customers. And, you know, we have been very fortunate that many CIOs of retail companies are my friends. And they call me and they tell me that, hey, said, you know, this is what we're looking to do. And saying, my board wants me to figure out what to do on a mobile phone. Help me out. And so there are, you know, those kinds of conversations that drive what we are going to do, right? So 
strategy is all about determining, first of all, who we are going to serve, and second is what we are going to do to serve them, right? So, I mean, there are retailers that are the large retailers of the world, like, you know, Macy's, and then there are the small ones. You know, there is a guy who walks dogs, right, or house sets dogs. He's a retailer too, mm. right? So the thing is that we have to pick which retailers we'll serve, right? And we have, of course, picked the top tier or two of retail, then we have to figure out what is it that we are going to do for them, right? Even within technology, there are so many different aspects to it. And we cannot win by being wanting to be perfect at all of them, right? So we have to pick out the areas which are the which have the greatest opportunity. And we do that by asking our customers. And they tell us, well, you know what? I mean, I need to figure out how to manage my warehouses better. I want to figure out how to make it more efficient to do this kind of work in technology. So yeah, so that's kind of where we'll invest in and where we'll build teams for. Mm. So you mentioned the third thing, which is sticking. So we talked about the strategy, we talked about your team, and then you also mentioned sticking to it. Mm. So uh, what are your thoughts? You know, Tell us a little bit more, more about that. How do you get folks to to stick to the strategy and continue to motivate your team you know, through distraction. I mean, sometimes it's not even discouragement as much as it is distraction, which is what um, Tom was just talking about. That's the toughest one, right? Because, uh, you know, there are temptations everywhere. So, for example, and when we said we are going to only do retail, I mean, I can't tell you the number of times my sales teams came to me and said, well, but can we make this exception? Can we go after this one company? You know, looks like we might be able to make it. And I had to say no very painfully so, right? Because revenue is revenue. But to say that we are going to only do what we are going to do and stick to it sometimes has some short-term impacts. Um, it has impacts on our clients, uh, the clients that we can go to. Uh, and it also has an impact on the people because not everybody is going to necessarily buy into your um, you know, narrow view of what you want to do, right? But uh, longer term, it really builds more cohesive teams uh, and it results in long-term success. Mm, great, great, great. Okay. Well, actually, also, I'll also add that from an M&A perspective, it makes life a lot easier. Well, if I hadn't, if, I, if we didn't say we only want to do retail technology, then, uh, you know, Tom would have had a much more difficult time to go and find candidates because guess what? The universe just opened up. Now, where am I going to go? But in this case, I mean, there are very specific areas that Tom is focusing on. And that helps uh, in that strategy as well. So as you guys look at the next next segment of the company's growth, let's say the next five years, what are you looking at in the, for the future of SPI? Oh, Go ahead. Yeah, okay. So, well, I mean, uh, you know, again, I know that Tom, uh, Tom is the one that always, hold, you know, he makes me more realistic, I guess. I am the one that is looking at the stars very often. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we have had a lot of success, okay, and uh, with, a great team like Tom and the others. I mean, we have really uh, quadrupled our revenues in the past five years, and you know, it's something that we are looking to repeat. And we basically object. Our objective as a company is to be one of the top players recognized by the industry as a technology provider to retail. Okay, and that's on one hand. And then a sub strategy within that is to really build that complete suite of products, which will address the omni-channel needs of retailers. Great. Right. Want to add to that? No, I, I think that's great. Um, you know, we, we are, you know, venturing a little bit from just retail. And I guess, we, you know, we're, we're, we kind of play between where retailers and, you know, what we call consumer product companies come together. 
So the suppliers of retail. So some of our products are basically being currently used by CPG companies. Um, and, and I think that's the one area that we, we've kind of expanded our retail, you know, and saying it still obviously impacts retailers. But, you know, the, the merchandise and the inventories that are going between the consumer product companies, you know, so that's kind of the new strategy going forward is that piece. And, and I would say in the technology, we're, we're kind of in the B2B space. Um, that's our main focus is we, you know, we think technology, I mean, where, where I'm looking right now is how can retailers and how can a CFO of a large retailer, you know, keep his labor costs down and basically get, you know, and, and basically have trained, competent sales associates. Because one of the biggest challenges with retail is low wages and high turnover. And that creates a lot of mistakes. But if you can de-skill jobs and technology allows you to do that, I think that's the one area that's going to be really the next hot area within retail is basically being able to use technology, whether it's guided selling. When you walk into a store to buy a TV or refrigerator, you right now you probably, most of us do enough research that we probably are smarter than the person trying to sell the product. And they, these people come in, how can I help you? But you can turn that around and basically through an iPad or through a, you know, a mobile device, you can basically, through assisted selling, de-skill the job where you can have somebody operating at a store after three weeks would have the same competence as somebody that would otherwise have to be there for five years of basically just an experienced sales associate. So I think that's one of the really neat areas of basically technology that's coming up that basically is going to make a difference. Interesting. And um, so tell us a little bit about some of the new and exciting things that are happening at, at, at Software Paradigm. So uh, you guys have won, I've hear, heard that you've won, you've won an award and, you've, you know, winning a couple more. So tell us a little bit about, you know, other, other new things and exciting things that are happening at the company. All right. So, yeah, I mean, we won the um, Pace Setter Award from the Atlanta Business Chronicle. Uh, that was a real honor. And then ACG also recognized us as the one of the first 40 uh, Georgia companies, and that ceremony is going to be next week, I think. Um, and then we constantly get recognized by the government of India, for example, as being a leader in exports from our region. So there is that. But also, um, the more exciting things are actually happening within the business. So we are uh, attracting a lot more high-quality talent. Um, Tom is constantly talking to... Uh, companies that we are going to acquire and we are looking at a really, really large size acquisition. Uh, we have gotten really good at bringing in companies, integrating their functions with us. And so we are looking at a couple of large acquisitions which are probably going to happen uh, in 2015. Uh, so there are lots of good, positive things happening. But most importantly, uh, our clients, our customers are doing very well. And so that's more exciting for us than anything else. Uh, I've got a lot of friends up in Johns Creek uh, in the Macy's office and, uh, you know, they t talk to me about how well Macy's is doing, and that really uh, makes me very happy because it means that we have somehow contributed to their success uh, as an organization. Great. I think I just add that, you know, I think there's more excitement in the office now because we have more people in the office. Um, you know, when I first joined, we were an IT servicing company, so most of our employees were actually working at customer locations. So the, the corporate office was Sid, me, and a few other people that, you know, were overhead <laughs> in the business. And I think now through uh, the acquisitions of several product companies, we're moving all that to Atlanta. So we've been bringing, we'll probably bring 
another 50 jobs to Atlanta over the next couple of years. We've probably brought, you know, 30 jobs to Atlanta over the last three. So, you know, we, we think Atlanta is a great place for talent, we, we, but we're also bringing folks in from the acquisitions we've done. So there's a buzz in the office. We're doing product development. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's fun stuff. I mean, as you know, attracting and maintaining technology skilled people is very difficult. They have all the options in the world right now in front of them if they're really good and keeping them challenged and keeping them excited. And, and through some of this cutting edge product type stuff we're working on with retail, you know, they're having fun, you know, and you see that, you know, and nobody's watching their watch or watching the clock. They're basically doing the work and they get so lost in basically building a great product for our customers that, you know, oh, it's 10 o'clock, I better go home, you know, kind of thing. So, that's been a big change in the office, which has been welcomed from my perspective. Mm. And so how much of your growth has been through acquisition? Um, so we probably bought, we brought on probably about, you know, I think last year about, we grew about 20%, about 10% of that came through revenue that was just organic growth from existing customers and the rest was through acquisition. So about half of our growth over the last couple of years has come through acquisition and then the other half is just good, solid, organic growth with our existing customers. And Sid mentioned that you can you continue to look at acquiring companies as well. And is that something that you think will continue over of the course. next few years? Yeah, no, I, there's just, I mean, you, you do that build versus buy. So um, whether it's, you know, doing an acquisition to get entry into a new customer, um, you know, we would consider that. But, you know, always looking to basically look for the best technology out there. And sometimes, you know, we, we do some R&D. We do our own development a little bit. But for the most part, this stuff is changing so quick within retail that, you know, it, it takes too long to kind of build some things. I mean, you, it's nice to get kind of a nice what, – what we've been having really good success is finding kind of legacy products that work for retail, um, you know, that solve a problem retailers have, whether it's merchandise assortment planning, whether it's, you know, uh, inventory replenishment, as, as Sid mentioned, any one of those, and making the technology more interesting and more relevant, more powerful, you know, sassifying it, if you will, basically being able to spin it up on a cloud and basically be able to access it, get it to a broader group of, of users within a retailer. And that's where we've been able, through our technology prowess and our offshore development team, we can do that really quickly. We can scale very quick in India uh, with product development. So that's one thing that we've basically been looking at finding, you know, you know, I, I argue to say non-sexy kind of products and, and making them sexy making and, and making them do more than they otherwise could do. And we've had real good success doing that. And I'm kind of a value acquisitor. Uh, you know, I like to buy things that, you know, are you know, not broken, but basically that need kind of a, you know, need a facelift, if you will, because, you know, the, the, the cutting edge of the hot, hot stuff is all crazy valuation expectations is all, you know, been funded by venture capitalists or whatever. And they're looking for 10 times their, you know, their, their investment, basically. And most of them don't have customers. And basically, it's, it's unclear what the product even does. But um, we try to stay away from those things. Great. Well, that's all the time we have. Thank you guys so much for a great show. If people want to get in touch with you to find out a little bit more about your products or services or they're interested um, in hearing more about anything that you've discussed today, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, so we are at www.spi.com uh, and anybody can contact me if they'd like to, any of your listeners, uh, at sid.mukherjee at spi.com or at info, I-N-F-O at spi.com. Uh, you know, and, you know, if you are interested in uh, technology in retail, then we are the place that you need to be at. Thank you very much. Thank Thanks. you. 
This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com.